Hi, hi, everyone. This is Kim C, and you're listening to the Year of Underrated Stephen King. This is a literary book podcast where this university fiction teacher is hunting down the glory and the grandeur within all of Stephen King's works. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 77, lucky number double seven. I'm so happy to be with all of you after my highly emotional episode 76, where we wrapped up the Green Mile and it just brought out all the tears. It was such an amazing story, such a fantastic few weeks, and thank you all if you tuned in to all of the Green Mile coverage or just partial Green Mile coverage. I am so grateful. I appreciate it so much, and I hope you enjoyed it. So, this particular episode, I was hoping to get out in time for Halloween fun, but looks like we missed the boat just a little bit, and we're going to squeak it out a little past the Halloween deadline, which is okay. November is just as delightful. We've got Day of the Dead in our midst, and lots of autumnal vibrations surrounding us, lots of Scorpio energy for my astrology folks out there. But I have been meaning to do a ranking episode for a long time. I really have wanted to do this. I'm going to explain why it's taken me so long to get there, but a lot was kind of preventing me from doing it. I felt initially it might be unfair to do a ranking episode because I haven't finished reading all of Stephen King's work, so I might be a bit of a fraud, but we are focusing on the underrated works within King's catalog, and I really do have some favorites, and I think it's okay if maybe there's a tentative ranking at this point point in time. But today, folks, this afternoon, after freshly counting down on my chart, I have read since my very first Stephen King novel in the year 2013, which was the novella collection Full Dark No Stars. Since that title, I have completed 38 King books which is pretty good for eight years in the game. Granted, I still have a long way to go. I've kind of been taking the slower roundabout route because I've been rereading some works along the way instead of gobbling up new ones. So uh, for that reason, I was very, I'm I'm still very hesitant, but (laughs) when creating this episode, I wasn't sure if my rankings would work if I hadn't read everything. I don't know uh, if they do, but we're just going to roll with it and uh, we're just going to be fully transparent and honest and uh, you guys can take what thou wilt out of this episode. But I don't know, guys. Uh, Resting my head on the pillow before going to sleep these last few months, I started to arrange my favorites in a row and... Oh, clearly, ladies and gentlemen, if you guys have been hanging out on the podcast for any amount of time, you know I had my top four ready to go. Then I was arranging a little bit more, sort of uh, switching and lifting, and I had six, seven, eight, and nine. (laughs) Those ones came in to the equation, um, but I just couldn't find 
the last one in the top five. Uh, it just wasn't coming through. It didn't feel right. didn't feel genuine. So yes, you are following me correctly. I know it's getting confusing. I have the top four, or I had the top four, and then I also had six, seven, eight, and nine. They were going to stay where they were, but I was not going to move any of six, seven, eight, nine. None of them could break the top five. They were not going to be the fifth one. However, to my surprise, the fifth one soon emerged and revealed itself, but that left me the problem of only the top nine because there's one. There's just one in the top 10. I haven't finished or I either haven't discovered it. I Granted, I'm not done with my king journey, uh, so I think I... I'm hesitant to put anybody in the 10th the spot. It just doesn't feel right. When I looked at all the titles I have read thus far, I just am not sure about the top 10 in, ter- in terms of the 10th. The so, um, so this is going to be super fun because this entire list is going to explore the um, very fun uh, strange rooms of Kim C's mind. So what we are going to explore today, of course, is nine out of 10. So I have the top nine Stephen King novels. I want to share this list with constant readers who have read the titles previously, hopefully love them as much as I do, or if perhaps they read them once and didn't love them, didn't care for them at all, perhaps my thoughts and feelings may assist them in taking a second look, giving them a second chance, a second exploration. I also wanted to create this list for brand new King readers who perhaps are super duper new to these titles and maybe they're gathering some data, just kind of testing the waters to see uh, the familiar titles of where they should begin a King journey. I think for the most part, a lot of Stephen King rankings out there have a lot of horror titles, have a lot more conventional picks. We may see a little bit of that in this list as well. However, with this podcast solely focusing for the most part, (laughs) given a few outliers, a few group projects, um, I, I feel that we're giving a great big chance to titles that aren't explored as often. Some unconventional picks. And they may want to start there. They may want to dip their toe in the water with King's work if they've never read him before. And or perhaps they have some preconceived ideals uh, that have prevented them previously. This is a huge thing. We constant readers know that Stephen King has been marginalized in the horror community for decades. He just doesn't belong there. He's the king of everything. He's the master of fiction. And I really think that so many, especially academics, uh, pigeonhole him as a genre writer. And genre writers really don't get the respect they deserve. Um, anyway, long tangent there more to discuss on that. We could talk for days on this topic, but uh, I'm hoping that this assortment of king titles might be intriguing to you, 
if you're a new explorer of King, but I also hope I'm going to reach some constant readers who may have these titles much lower down on their list because you've got a powerful, uh, very muscly top 10 of his mega hit novels. So uh, yeah, that's what this list is all about. I was really ready to line my ducks up in a row, get them out there to all of you, see what we think. So before we really start getting into the rankings, I must put in big bold letters here, this list, today's episode, is comprised only of Stephen King novels. Only the novels. Novellas and short story collections will not be included in this list. That ranking is going to be separate because... As you, uh, some of you know, the short stories and the novellas are so near and dear to my heart. I love them. I am obsessed. And there's a lot of discovery we can have in that arena in terms of when they were originally written, where they were originally published. It's kind of a huge thing. And so... I might take a look at that a little bit later on in the podcast. So only today, for today, it's going to be um, the novels only. In terms of novella and short stories collections, I'm about two to three behind. I still have many more roads to travel before I feel I can accurately um, (laughs) say that I'm ready to talk about all the novellas and short stories. I still have Nightmares and Dreamscapes, Night Shift, Four Past Midnight. I gotta get going here. So just a heads up, this ranking will be Stephen King novels only. I am purposely omitting the beloved novella collections and short stories because they're so dear to me. I need to leave a separate ranking zone for those collections. And yeah, much later on down the road, we might do some super fun stuff with those. So stay tuned there. Ladies and gentlemen, before we begin this countdown, once more, I have to prep you on the strangeness of my mind uh, regarding this ranking. This is going to be so much fun because this ranking episode is um, hands down not like traditional countdowns where the number one spot is the greatest, the best, the one ring to rule them all. Nay. So the entire top five for Kim C, this is my really unique, strange little uh, system. (laughs) Um, What I would like you guys to visualize in your mind as you're making your way through this list, as I feel that would be the most helpful, a round table full of equal grades. So for my top five Stephen King novels, I would like for you to visualize a round table uh, with five chairs. Maybe it's four chairs and a centerpiece, but for today, just to keep it clear and cohesive, there's five chairs at this table and they're all equal. Equal pie slices, equal chunks. They are the knights of the round table. There isn't a singular king of this table. I mean, they're all king. I mean, Stephen King, of course, is the real king, but they're all equal noblemen. No one is greater. So the top five for me, for Kim C. Kim. <laughs> I said my name so weird. <laughs> the top five for me, your hostess, Kim C, means five gold medals, right? 
I realize this is very different, this is very strange, and it may in fact take out some of the magic of the countdown of a ranking. I, I might be breaking all the rules, I, it might not even get to be defined as a ranking, who knows. But this is how it feels in my heart, this is what feels true to me, this is the bedrock of this ranking according to so I'm going to be true to that and I'm going to be true to that with all of you. So the top five means five seats at the round table, five gold medals, whereas picks six, seven, eight, and nine have seats at another round table. It's a slightly smaller table. It's not as big as the top five table, but they are wearing silver medals. So in the mind of Kim C, if you have a seat at a table, you've made it. So picks six, seven, eight, and nine have silver medals just under the gold. Yes, that, that seems appropriate. Silver for sure. And then once the final tenth one gets in there, that would be silver as well. We don't have the tenth. The tenth is a mystery. More on that later but it will be a silver as well. To continue with our Olympic theme, I think if I ever did a top 15, those final five would get the bronze and a smaller table. I would definitely stop the count at 15 though. However, I may take a page out of Matt H's book from Tower Junkies as he and Tiny both have a top 19, which I totally love. They have a a stellar list. Definitely check out their top 19 at towerjunkiespod.com, I think. Tower Junkies Pod. Um, Matt is a good buddy of mine, a wonderful human being, cat owner, and Stephen King fan, and we've been hanging out quite a bit. His top 19 is legendary. I would like to have a 19, but I think I'm going to do a 15 just to be punk rock about it, but I don't have any picks in the bronze at this time. Uh, I do, but I'm not ready to speak to you about them. So we're going to stay tuned for a later date and I'll let you know as soon as I have those five who are gonna make Kim C's top 15, the gold, the silver, and the bronze. So I will let you know as, as soon as that list is compiled. But ladies and gentlemen, once more, like all things in nature, there is change. And I am more than aware and more than prepared to have a bit of shuffling that may occur concerning certain picks. That's natural, of course. However, the reason why I think it took such a long time to do a ranking episode is I wanted to really be sure. I wanted to really feel confident about the top five. I understand that there may be one that comes in there last minute and knocks one out, out of the table and <laughs> pulls their chair away. I am open to that. I'm open to shufflings as I continue my king journey. But as of today, dear friends, I feel very strong on who has a seat at the table, who has the gold, and who has the silver. I feel really, really good about that. So that's uh, that's all you gotta know. I'm uh, I'm really firm about it. It's been in my head for months and months, just kind of mulling over. I would ask myself, do you really want that one there? And then I would question it a few more days, a few more weeks. I'd come back to it. Yes. So 
this is uh yeah we're going deep into the caverns of my mind on this episode um but once more we're gonna start this episode with the top five picks we're not going to dramatize this in any uh certain way we're not going to start at 10 and go down to one we're just gonna do this in the way that i think is gonna work best and it's gonna be different so we're gonna start with our five gold medals and we're gonna start with number one because like I've mentioned previously this is a very different kind of ranking a different kind of countdown the number one is gonna rank the same as number five or number four they're all equally wonderful gold medal worthy in my heart I cannot pit one over the other I refuse to do so If I must later on down the road, um, if it's a group project and I am forced, if I am forced to pit one against the other, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. But for today, I have them all seated at the table with a gold medal around their neck. And after we go over our top five, I'm going to talk to you about our top four silver contenders at the table right beside our top five. And um, I might have, mm, nope, I'm not ready. I keep, I keep wanting to announce one or two bronze medalists at the smaller table next to the silver. We'll see. We'll see what, what cooks up. But I typically am hesitant to reveal something uh, that, that I haven't meditated on <laughs> for a while. So without further ado, bless all of you if you've stuck along with me through this meandering voyage. Let's head that way. I hope you enjoy my picks for, at present, my top nine, tentative in parentheses, my top nine Stephen King novels. I'll see you guys in the next section. everyone let's start off this ranking of kim c's top nine stephen king novels with our number one pick let's go for it our first gold medal of course is given with great pride to the novel that was released in 1986 the year of my birth and that's the over 1000 page footbreaker known as it of course uh yes dear friends you know i i think that either it or the stand is pretty much tied in terms of uh what is the best stephen king novel for me the city of Derry, pennywise the losers club little georgie the deadlights and all those who float too guys this is for me the pinnacle it is not an underrated pick for sure but it's definitely one of the stories that for me 
I think this novel cements Stephen King into legend. I read it for the very first time. I have only read it once, something that I definitely need to remedy. I need to give this one a reread. It is, it blew my mind in the summer of 2015 when I read it for the very first time. It took me over a month. Uh, I believe it was pretty much six weeks of daily reading, the old-fashioned way, just yourself in a book, no audiobook. I would take the huge hardback cover in my backpack, I would read it on my lunch breaks and head back into the classroom with a lump in my throat because... Either I was sad about something, I, or I just had a fear, just unquenchable fear as the kids were being terrorized by Pennywise or Henry Bowers and his gang, Patrick Hawksutter, I think there's a Belch Huggins in there as well. It Was Belch, was Belch in it, or was he, he might be from somewhere else, but I would bet money that he's one of um, Henry Bowers' goons. Um... But I, that was a life-changing six weeks, and that's when I really observed I had already fallen in love with King earlier with the novella collection Full Dark No Stars, but with it on, on this tremendously long reading journey, I kind of discovered in my own heart that King might be the greatest writer I had ever read in my life. And yeah, reading it helped me see this this guy, this Stephen King, is unlike any author I had ever read before. And these kids, these young people, and all their trauma, as I was making my way through the novel, I knew I was going to hold them in my heart for the rest of my life. And it was really true for me because Bill Denbro is my favorite King character of all time. If you've been listening to the podcast for a little bit, you know this. I have mentioned it quite a, quite a bit. He has yet to be topped. He is my heart. I love him. I feel his pain more deeply than I've ever felt anyone else's pain, and he just, for whatever reason, is my number one. So, yes, naturally, my first gold medal will go to the 1986 novel It, which is a life-changing, game-changing novel that absolutely alters readers forever, if not connecting you to the wounded, afraid child still inside of all of us, or helping us as adults to see that as grown-ups, we're all battling so much, so much, that the stuff from childhood just has a way of latching on and never letting go in good ways and in bad ways. It is brilliant, genius, incomparable. If you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend you know, if you have seen the films, they're a great little gateway to get you started. However, nothing like the book. It is just nothing like the immersive character-driven world of these kids in 1958 and then these adults in the 1980s. So let's do a reread sometime, folks. I think it would be fun. It's definitely on my to-do list uh, once we get some of these underrated titles out of the way. We are going to explore it because it's amazing. It's the best. It's number one. My number two gold medal and seat at the table right next to it goes to... 
Joyland. Of course, if you guys have been listening to the podcast for a while, you know I'm absolutely bananas for this story. I'm obsessed. I love it so much. It has moved me so deeply. I believe this is a 2013 hard case crime release. I believe. I feel I could be getting that wrong. It might be a 2010. This is what happens when you're just uh, free riding and your your numbers get scrambled. Um, I feel in my in my gut it's a 2013 hard case crime release. Um, but the main character, Devin Jones, is a college student in the 70s. He gets a job for the summer in a North Carolina beach town. That's a very kind to student workers, and he lands a spot at a local amusement park called Joyland. He is in the middle of heartbreak, and it's one of those that's the first cut is the deepest kind of thing, where you are so broken, you don't eat, you don't sleep, you just lay around and exist and convert oxygen to carbon dioxide. It's one of those. He's doing his best to stay afloat, but he's so depressed. But while he's working at Joyland, he makes some awesome friends. He has some work adventures. Meanwhile, there's an unsolved murder mystery that comes into the equation and a very special young boy in a wheelchair who always waves to Devin on the beach as he's walking to work. And that's all I want to say in terms of a small summary. But dear friends, this is such a genre smorgasbord. We've got ghost story, love story, friendship, heartbreak, coming of age. It's a crime thriller. We've got reflecting on the past. This is a powerhouse. It is the mitochondria of the cell, dear, dear ones. It lingers in the mind like a gorgeous scent, and there's great characters amazing setting and I don't know if I explored this in my episode on Joyland but it's totally a gothic novel and I think that's why I love it so much Uh, with gothic novels the setting is everything there are so many secrets a ton of mystery but there's also this immensely reflective melancholy nostalgic narrator reporting to us from the future we've got the poignancy of youth of memory life experiences friendship and just those special times in in growing up and growing old when everything burns really bright joyland is a quick read i believe it's just over 300 pages but it's one that i am Oh my god, I'm so happy to revisit. I want to be there all the time. I think I might be talking to Tower Junkies about this novel here pretty soon. I think I'm going to give it a reread once more. My third time reading it. That's how obsessed I am. I want to take Devin's Beach Walks. I want to wear the fur and be in the Howie the Happy Hound mascot suit. I definitely want to hang out on the beach with Annie again. I've... I've read it twice already and it's not enough. It brings me so much joy every single time, pun intended. Uh, 2013's Joyland. I'm I'm hoping I didn't get the year right. I have a sinking feeling I did, (laughs) but um, it is my second seat at the table and my second gold medal. All right, are we ready for number three? I think we are. Number three in Kim C's top five is, of course getting our feet nice and sandy once more on the beaches of 2008's 
do my key oh my god once more if you've been uh hanging out near this podcast for a tiny bit you're well aware that do my key is a novel i adore 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 i so love this novel folks swoon this is another gothic novel by steve a gothic beach novel i am this is what happens. I kind of just stare off into space. I shake my head. My mouth is agape. That's what happens to me when I think about Duma Key, and it's nothing but love. And oh my gosh. Okay. This is a story about buried secrets, family demons. Uh, this is a novel about healing and l- almost literal rebirth after injury. Uh, coming back to life from metaphorical death as well as the power of art this thing is jam-packed with compelling depictions of drawings and paintings and pure creation and how art can heal the soul as well as call forth so much more this novel ticks so many boxes for me ladies and gentlemen we've got a beach mystery historical fiction we have a wonderful genuine solid friendship between two men uh this dude friendship this bromance it's 100 a bromance and it's so charming we have a amazing exploration of a recovery story and about what it really looks like to start a new life from zero and also there are some really incredible aquatic horror elements in place which is very intriguing and uh yeah let's just say they've been under the waves the entire time for a long time this is one of those novels that you will be thinking about it long after you finished it it is beautiful i highly recommend getting your hands on the american hardback because the cover art has illustrations that directly tie into the story so i suggest having some strong colors and visuals in your mind when you start doing a key if you're giving it a second chance i've met a lot of people who could not get into do key I recommend the audiobook. It is read by John Slattery, who I don't know his character name in Mad Men. Mad Men was a little bit of a boring show for me. I love the costumes, but it was a little slow. Um, John Slattery is a tremendous narrator, and he brings it to life. So definitely get your hands on the text and the audiobook at the same time. I think it'll be a really immersive experience for you. Um, however, the audiobook, if you're busy, uh, will do the job. It's mysterious. It's dark, very gothic. We have beautiful female energy and very dark feminine energy inside this text, as well as a really ominous hand of fate holding the strings over our main characters. But I, guys, I cannot wait to go back to Duma Key. I cannot wait as a reader to be on that beach again. I can't wait. It is my number three seat at the table with a gold medal around its neck. Please read the novel and then check out my episode on Duma Key. Let me know what you think. All right, dear ones, number four it is. And 
I think I just heard a crack of lightning in the background and hopefully you did too because our number four spot belongs to the 2013 novel Revival. Oh my goodness, dear friends. I think this is either a 2013 or a 2014. This book is hot, hot, hot. Oh my gosh. Uh, where do we start? Uh, this story takes place in Harlow, Maine, which is one of my favorite Steve King Maine towns. If you've read the novella The Body Inside Different Seasons or Mr. Harrigan's Phone from last year's If It Bleeds, both uh, both of those feature the city of Harlow, Maine. It's electric, literally and figuratively, let me tell you. But this is a- another terrific novel that scoops you up on an adventure pretty much instantly. The writing was so damn good, I was carried away in less than five pages easily. Uh, this is a novel about losing faith, uh, and religious faith specifically, and brokenness, uh, a broken spirit, which is pretty timely if you're a citizen of Earth (laughs) in these past few years, but this is also a story about rock music, and specifically if you're a guitar player. We also have a heaping dose of drug addiction as well as obsession, tragedy, and which path you choose in life when everything goes wrong. Are you the kind of person who will lean on a higher power? to cope to make it work or are you going to find slash make the power yourself and bear the consequences for trying to play god it asks hard deep questions but this story oh my gosh my friends this novel needs to be mainstream i would say Oh, God, this would be an impossible choice. But if somebody said, if I could take t- any two Stephen King novels that I would want to be mainstream, if I could if I could pick one of the two, it would be a, a knockdown, drag-out fight between Duma Key and Revival. And I think I... Oh, that would... Oh, God, that would kill me. Because <laughs> I really want Duma Key mainstream. I really, really want that. But I I might have to give it to Revival because this thing is lightning in a bottle. It is incredible, all caps. There's a lot of taboo, a lot of taboo subjects explored in this story. We've also got a really creep out gothic ending with nods to classic horror roots. That's all I'll say there. It's definitely made some waves among the Stephen King fan community, uh, at least what I've observed over the years. This is gritty, dramatic, powerful. We also get a huge span of years with these characters, the length of a man's life from early childhood into old age. So this journey is absolutely compelling. My number four seat and gold medal belongs to the fifth business, the novel Revival. All right, everybody, that leads us to the last seat, the five, the fifth one. Uh, I'm sure a few of you might be guessing, you might be able to guess what it is for sure. Uh, There's a reason why 
kind of harkening back to the beginning of this episode, there's a reason why I haven't released a top countdown or a ranking because up until a couple weeks ago, for the life of me, I only had our top four and our bottom four. So weird, I know, but my brain is a very unique place. So honoring that uniqueness until up around six-ish weeks ago, there was only the top four until I started to read this novel and I instantly knew. I instantly knew it was going to crack the top five and round us out. You know what it is. 1996's The Green Mile. Oh, dear friends. Oh, dear friends. (laughs) If you've heard any of my extensive coverage on The Green Mile, you can hear episode by episode, at least I think, You can hear me slowly melting into a puddle over a period of weeks. Uh, And I I think by the time I got to part three, Coffee's Hands, I knew it was a top fiver. I could feel it. I, oh my god, I could feel it. It felt like it was always meant to be close to my heart. It 1000% deserves a gold medal. Ladies and gentlemen, this is top tier king riding genius characters, beautiful rendering. This is one of the best King novels there is. And the moments in this book are simply eternal. They're just, they need to be forever. It is so powerful. It is so well done. Mr. Jingles, John Coffey, Edouard Delacroix, old Sparky's last reign in Cold Mountain Prison in the year 1932. It is simply beyond my wildest literary dreams in terms of connecting to a piece of fiction. I was absolutely invested. I, my whole heart and soul sank into these pages. Uh, And I think part of it is the beautiful writing, of course, and then the other part is the serialized nature of this book. This is such a cool Stephen King specimen, guys, because the fact that this was written in a way that allowed King to take a breath in between each chunk and compose each section with an intro, an arc, and a suspenseful conclusion, lots of foreshadowing, lots of dramatic sort of fade in and fade out. It's, it was an immensely appealing experience and it was a writing experiment that totally works for King. Oh my gosh, I really think he should do it again. He most likely won't, but that would be amazing. I, I know that there's a lot of readers out there who think about The Green Mile and most people are familiar with it or the film and they think, oh, it's going to be sad. I don't want to read anything sad, but I'm down for something scary, but not sad. I I would just encourage you to observe the creation of this tale. Um, look at the structure of it. Observe how King builds, how he is stringing this together and stitching us together with it. It is totally worth it. So, The Green Mile, without a second thought, gets my fifth and final gold medal. It rounds out the top five. I was waiting for it the whole 
time. And once I found it, the green mile snugly wedged right in there at the table. All right, everybody, that is the top five. So let's recap. Our number one is, of course, 1986's Incomparable It. Number two is 2013, I think, Joyland. Pure magic. Number three, 2008's Gothic Beach Tale, Duma Key. Number four, it's either 2013 or 2014, The Electric Fireball Powerhouse of Revival. And number five, Kim C's Broken Heart in a Box, 1996, The Green Mile. All right, everybody. And now, if you're still with me, if, uh, if you're still having fun, please stick around as I explore and explain why I have four more and not five and how these last four novels get the silver. I'll see you in the next section. Precious people, thank you so much for sticking with me. And at this time, let's give a nod to the table right beside our gold medal holders and introduce our four silver medal recipients. Once more, at this present time, I only have nine Stephen King novels that will receive any award and any seat at the table. I will explain more on that toward the end. But for now, let's talk about novel number six and our first silver medal recipient and that is 2011's 850 page 112263 <laughs> you guys this novel is such a wonderful mammoth beast of awesome we have some terrific sci-fi elements in this story as well as huge huge fantasy history chunks historical fiction as well as a rather genuine and very touching love story between the main characters of jake and sadie and in 2011 my goodness this novel exploded onto the scene uh, it got mega press tremendous book reviews and i believe my own father read about it in the wall street journal this was such a juggernaut of a novel and i believe a lot of king haters out there especially book reviewers turned their head with this one and gave it a chance and were very happy they did so i also believe this was the king work where people were swapping it with non-king people in their life left and right because it was just so good it was so accessible, enjoyable, a thrill ride. There was just so many things working. 
So reflecting on the actual story, now that I've begun my Dark Tower journey, there are definitely some Dark Tower elements in this story that I need to explore at a later time after a reread. For example, the yellow card man. I need to ask some Dark Tower folks about that one real quick, but I love this novel so much, dear friends. There is so much to love, and there is a stellar Hulu limited series that followed in 2016. Uh, Jake Epping is our main character and he is played by James Franco who just melted me. Melted me. He, oh my god, he did a 10 out of 10 performance there. The casting is perfection. And although the script does take liberties with the story's actual plot, for example, in the novel, uh, Jake revisits the past in the year 1958 with a dink nod to those uh, preteens in Derry, of course, of course. In the Hulu series, I believe he heads back in 1961. So there's only about two years for him to build a life in Jody rather than um, the five. So some nice liberties taken. However, they really work. It serves the characters in such a natural way. It's beautifully done. Costumes are fantastic. I was more than okay with the changes made. And uh, I hear many people in the constant reader community say that this is a novel they recommend to people who've never read King. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think that this novel is a great place to start a King journey to lead somebody into our uh, dark unknown cave. I, I think it's a wonderful thrill ride mystery, sci-fi time travel love story, perhaps one of King's best love stories, I think. I think it's a huge contender for one of the best, if not the best. And it's an overall compelling and incredible look at one of the most infamous assassinations in the history of the world. It definitely raises a good case, for sure. This is a story that King spent a lot of time personally researching. So if you are a history buff, please make sure that 112263 is a book investment of yours and definitely watch the show after you're finished. All right, all right, let's keep on trucking. Right beside 112263 is, I can't wait to talk about this one, is 1999's little 230-page novel that could the girl who loved tom gordon i know um i oh my gosh i could just feel everyone flipping out (laughs) as you listen to this episode everybody's like what come on um this has polarized many readers this little diamond this precious little gem of a book is one that is such a hot, cold, on-off pick in the King community, with a large majority of readers having nothing but negative things to say, but I love it. I freaking love it, everybody. Unashamedly adore this book, and I, I, I shall explain why. There is something 
really powerfully present for me in this tale of survival where nine-year-old Trisha gets separated from her mom and brother on a hike in the main woods. She gets hopelessly, terrifyingly lost. And her only source of comfort is her Walkman, which if you are born in the 1980s, you know what it is, <laughs> if you remember those. Uh, my Gen Z listeners, you might have to Google them, but it's a little handheld radio which broadcasts the Boston Red Sox game, where Tom Gordon, her favorite player, gives her strength to hold on. And this is, this is such a diamond for me, guys. There's just, I, I cannot articulate enough how much I love this. It's short but mighty. And what I love so much about it is that King sort of forces the reader to have a bit of a kind of meditative literary experience where you really have to focus. You have to kind of force yourself to focus on this story and be present with the text in a way that I have not encountered in a King work before. Uh, At least I've not read anything quite like this. There are so many elements in this story where the human spirit is tested. This little girl is so vulnerable, and not only is the forest against her, just nature in general, but there is also, uh, being, you know, a king work, of course, we do have a mysterious, malevolent entity following her and stalking her. And as the reader, you are immediately trailing right behind this little girl in this open, intimidating, wooded space. And you are feeling the terror, the exhaustion, and the exposure right next to little Trisha. And it's such a moving work for me. Um, I've kind of discussed it once or twice as being a very gender... Uh specific book i've noticed my female listeners who have read it have very agreeable things to say whereas a lot of male listeners do not so there's just something there uh i do understand why the negativity though because this is a very different kind of king experience especially if you're someone who's read a lot of his novels so if you are a constant reader if you would consider yourself so you're aware that most King novels are like a Christmas feast, especially the longer ones. Your plate is just loaded. It is overflowing with setting, characters, plot, and as the reader, you're just gorging on all the delicious elements. This book, however, The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, is what I would like to call a fasting book. This is a meditative story where you savor what you have, and with the provided, albeit meager, elements, you appreciate what's there and you cling on to it so tightly, and everything takes on a huge significance and huge power. For example, Trisha's backpack. Like, this is just a little girl's backpack. It's insignificant. It's just whatever. But suddenly, it's all she has. And the intensity gets turned way up on that fact as the reader makes their journey with her. And it just, I love this book, guys. I understand not a lot of people do, but I highly recommend giving this one a second chance. It is one that requires a a slower read, a more methodical read. 
Um, and I hope my episode on the girl who loved Tom Gordon sort of helps it resonate a little bit deeper. Um, so this is a, this is a theory I'm going to propose to all of you. It's relatively new. It might not land well, so forgive me if it's a disaster, but here's my theory. If you're a constant reader and you're a fan of The Long Walk, which is a uh, novel written by Stephen King in the year 1967-68. This was his very first novel when he was still in college. However, it was put in a trunk for years and years and released under the Richard Bachman pseudonym in 1979. But this is uh, that story, The Long Walk, is about young people suffering and dying from exposure to the elements in a very, you know, vague way. Granted, they're getting shot at as well. They're being murdered along the way, but that book has incredible similarities to Trisha's journey. And The Long Walk has such a huge fan community. People love The Long Walk. I think it's a little too sad for me. It's a little too bleak. I appreciate it for what it is. The fact that it's King's first novel, it's extraordinary. It's definitely a work that should be read. Um, It's depressing AF. It is a Holocaust adventure through the woods, and it's just miserable and bleak. Um, There are a lot of similarities from The Long Walk and The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, and yet The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon doesn't get any love or appreciation or even consideration. And so my plea is, if you're a Long Walk fan, can you please uh, give this book a chance? Because there are similarities. For real. Like, let's stop the madness here and realize they're very similar. Trisha is walking too. She's suffering. She's dying. She's being hunted. And the long walk boys kind of are too. They're in the same situation as she she is. They're They're just on a road and there's a lot more of them and Trisha's by herself. So yeah, that's my theory. If you're a long walk fan, you need to give the girl who loved Tom Gordon at least do it for me. Do me a favor. Do me a favor and just give it a chance if you're a long walk fan because everybody's like, oh my god, the long walk is it's amazing. It's great. I respect that. There's a lot to admire in the long walk. There's a lot I don't admire in the long walk, but I love the hell out of this book. And I feel if you like the long walk, you can give Trisha's journey a chance. So there are some tremendous things I found inside this short little tale. I've read it twice. It is such a meaningful work for me. Check it out if you haven't, please. It is my number seven pick. All right, all right. I know the countdown so far, this ranking has been a lot more contemporary king, a lot more underrated picks, of course, of course, that's the business we're in. But now, my old school constant readers and perhaps new school should enjoy this next one. My number eight pick and silver medal recipient is the almost 400 page 1983 title. Pet Cemetery. Yes, yes, yes. Gage, Church the Cat, the Crandles, the Ludlows, and sometimes dead is better. This one is a wow, folks. This story is definitely one that terrifies me. Terrifies me to my soul. And at the same time, the reading experience of this novel is so fantastic. 
I feel it is, as far as my 38 King novels are concerned, this has to be one of the greatest examples of the slow burn, in quotes, for his catalog. Because this just starts out like a Susie Sunshine kind of tale, folks. It is simple. It's very all-American. We have a young family with a wife and two children. They move into a new house, and they're starting to make friends with the neighbors. And that's how this thing begins, just innocent and sunny. This elderly neighbor starts to enlighten his new buddy about the town and the neighborhood, and local legend uh, starts to seep in, followed by a small field trip, and then everything starts to weave together in this very simplistic way until the heat gets turned up. And the heat doesn't stop until the very end when the pot is boiling over and scalding water is spilling all over the floor. That is Pet Cemetery for me, folks. It is excruciatingly heartbreaking. It is frightening, like gasping, almost want to scream kind of terror, for me at least. Uh, yet incredibly simplistic as this ominous hand of fate slowly, slowly turns up the gas flame on the stove and the reader just doesn't realize you're boiling. You're boiling. We are boiling by the end and it's amazing. It's amazing. It's it's such an incredible reader experience. I definitely need to do a reread though. However, I'm very scared too. <laughs> I'm very scared. Um, I'm less scared than Misery though. Like Misery, no way. No way, Jose. Unless there's a, a huge pile of gold coins at the end. Um, no, I would I would be very keen to read Pet Cemetery again. I'm just quite frightened to do so. This is a wonderfully dark story that is told in a beautiful way. And at the end, it asks some really big questions. It is a gothic horror done right. I love it. Love it. Love it. All right, friends, on to lucky number nine. This is our last and final novel selection for this very odd ranking. Um, but if you've been listening to the podcast at all this year, you know I just couldn't keep quiet about a particular 2006 novel that turned my brain into scrambled eggs because it is weird as hell, it's hard to decipher, hard to make sense of, all in all, it's just hard to sell to people as well as it being difficult to, to read in general, and that is, of course... The story featuring the Queen of Moon, the Lady with the Shovel, 2006's Lisey Story. Oh dear listeners, I love this bonkers book, you guys. I love the magical realism all over the place because it does make me fondly reflect on some of the South American greats, the novelists that we study in school, such as Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Isabel Allende, if you speak Spanish, uh, Pablo Neruda, his poetry is incandescent, as well as Mexican author Laura Esquivel, she's another friend, uh, favorite of mine. 
These are some amazing fiction writers who double as poets. Their their writing is so beautiful, but they kind of began this incredible literary movement with allowing the world to burst open in front of the reader in wild wild fantastical ways and we have that in this story with the mystical respite of Buya Moon the frighteningly strange villain of the long boy the magical rapid healing of Scott's wounds but in between this fantastically wildly weird story it's nuts with all of this coded language and hidden meaning we have a sweet albeit complex love story and a bond uh between two romantic partners and this is a story about marriage and devotion and really fighting for the person you're married to in life and in death and i don't know guys it's just one that stuck in my mind like super glue after two reads i find myself referencing it all the time all the time and if you are a person who enjoys strange fiction and you want to dive in with this king book i i i i'll allow it um but i i don't recommend uh giving this to new king readers unless they're into weird stuff i also recommend ignoring the fact that it's a king book for right now because this novel for me is a complete outlier this is strange as strange can be and it's very um unusual and not part of his typical repertoire his uh his usual modus operandi no this novel is dense the language is encoded it is a challenge of a reading experience but completely worth it really worth it it is highly recommended that you give it a chance and then after you finish the novel there is a gorgeous limited series on apple tv that was released this year i think they did an amazing job the director was right the casting is perfection the filming is beautiful and it is one million percent a show that is made for book readers only which i've never really encountered that before completely it is a treat it is a feast for the senses if you read the book but if you haven't read the book, I think watching the show might be like a Concord flight to crazy town. So <laughs> please read the book, watch the show, and then you can jump back to hear my episode by episode coverage of Lisey's Story, the limited series, as well as the 2006 novel way at the beginning of the podcast. Not my best work, but I definitely made a dent. Uh, we had a crack, as the Aussies would say. So, uh, yeah, I, I will have to do more Lucy's story coverage down the road, but it is my number nine pick. And number nine is where this countdown and ranking will stop. This, uh, boat will pull into the dock because that's all my heart is sure about at this time. So to recap... Our first five gold medal recipients sitting at the round table of glory starts with number one, 1986's perfection of a novel uh, that is it. Number two, um, My Heart in a Theme Park, 2013's Joyland. 
Number three, 2008's Haunted Beach Duma Key. Number four, 2014's Absolutely Electric Revival. And number five, 1996's The Green Mile. Love, love, love those five. And they are, the bar was set so high with those five in in my heart. So uh, sitting right next to the table, our silver medal recipients, number six is 2011's 112263. Amazing. Uh it's it's just all that in a bag of chips. What can I say? Uh number seven, I love, love, love it. Even if you hate it, 1999's The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Number eight is the quintessential treasure fright fest, 1983's Pet Cemetery. And our final number nine pick for favorite Stephen King novel is 2006's Lacey's Story. All right, friends. So once more, my journey has allowed me to complete 38 King novels. And there are a lot more to go. There's probably 30 plus more to go. And so the reason why there is only nine is because at this time, I I don't feel I have a 10th. I, I believe the 10th is out there. Uh, what could happen is we could get the fifth silver medal to slide into place, or I am open to a mysterious novel I wasn't expecting to maybe knock into the top five, maybe rearrange the order a little bit. It's unlikely, but possible. Anything's possible. Um, I've mentioned once or twice in a few previous episodes that, to my everlasting shame, I did not finish The Stand. I got about 600 pages in right when everybody started to arrive to Mother Abigail's place in Nebraska. I don't know what happened. Clearly something dramatic because I stopped reading The Stand and I I haven't finished it. And at this point, I need to start completely over. I need to do a massive reread. And so it is from my observation that The Stand is in everybody's top 10. I mean, The Stand is one of these seminal king works. Um, So I think I might be waiting for The Stand to take the 10th spot. I don't know. All I know is I I hear from many friends that The Stand is one that stays with you forever, so who knows? Then again, there are others who say that It it is better than The Stand by far. I don't know. I I still have a long way to go. Um, And so for that reason, I am... 100% sure on the nine choices presented to you today. I feel very confident. They've been in my mind for months and months and months. I believe they deserve to be there at those two tables with the gold and silver medals. So my hope is, is that as we continue this King journey, as we continue the underrated works, that some uh, very serendipitous surprises might jostle the ranking a little bit, or by that time, I hope to have some bronze medalists for you because we're gonna have five bronze medalists because I think a top 15 really works for me. I think the five, 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 five's my favorite number. It's a lucky number. We're gonna go with that. So I 
I have two in my mind right now that I believe would be bronze medal contenders. Uh, because I love you so much, I'll let you know what they are, of course. However, don't set this in stone. This is not official. This is unofficial, which they can easily be redacted on the next ranking. Uh, but in my heart, I'm mulling around with Firestarter being a bronze medalist, as well as Under the Dome, simply because of the, um overflowing hate lava i still have for the character big jim Rennie. it is unquenchable hate so i think i might have two bronze medalist uh contenders however uh that is to be determined that is to be determined as is our 10th silver medalist tbd so I will uh, sit on these a little while longer. We're going to read some more books. And then in time, I will bring you the sixth, or the, pardon me, the 10th the silver medal contender, and then the five bronze. And that will round out Kim C's top 15 Stephen King novels. So overall, thank you guys so much for listening to this very odd ducky of a ranking system. I know it's absolutely not difficult. I realize it's unusual, but it's all me, it's all Kim C, and I'm happy to have you with me as we hash these out. So I would love to know your thoughts on where these novels fall <laughs> in your own rankings. I'm assuming much lower, uh, especially if you're a traditional constant reader. I know that this ranking is probably shaking things up for a few people, uh, which not my intention, but it might happen. So I would love to know your thoughts. Please reach out to me at underratedsk at gmail. I check it early and often and I will respond quickly and promptly as uh, to say hi and uh, thank you so much for reaching out. If you are a fan of the show but just haven't had the time yet, if you would be so kind to head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a five star, that would make us smile very big um, as we head into the holiday season. I hope to have more King readers checking out the show and catching up on some King works. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm really eager to know what your thoughts are on this uh, ranky janky <laughs> countdown. Thank you guys so much for being with me. You are so special to my heart. So wherever you are in the world, please take care. Bundle up if it's getting cold outside and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.